Welcome back, lords, ladies, and lovelies, to Black Girl Tea Party. My name is Yasmin Hill. And I'm Aaliyah Dorsey. First things first, let's get right into the brew. Yasmin, what is brewing for you this week? Oof. Um, My brew is going to be about Pierce Morgan, and I'm going to try to keep it short because, you know, I don't like talking about white men. So we're just going to jump right into it. I, well, as we all know about the interview that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle did uh, exposing some uh, of the more like intricacies of like the racism that they had experienced and that Archie had experienced um, just within the royal family and the palace and in the UK in general. And there have been a lot of like points of discussion because of the interview and Pierce Morgan has been a big part of that because on his show Good Morning Britain in re- in response to the interview he said I wouldn't believe her if she read me a weather report and talked about how it was just not genuine even though she was talking about some pretty sensitive information just about her mental health and um all of that which like sure okay if he doesn't want to believe her nothing is you know no one can make her and make him but um I guess the controversy is because his co-host on the show called him out for some of like the how harsh he was being and he has continuously like he has a trend of um holding Meghan Markle to really high standards and being um really vicious with his comments about her so when somebody called him out for this he stormed off of the show and then later um decided that he was going to quit for good and now this has really just evolved into like a, a conversation piece on free speech and all of this kind of stuff but in reality I just think Pierce Morgan's entire platform and like the reason that he's popular is because he hates women very loudly very blatantly and he is consistently in the middle of some sort of like pop culture conflict most of the time because he has said something about, that is like just misogynistic um like just like there's no oh yeah big uh, as for whether it's like british pop stars or like other pop culture figures or something like that i really just think and i don't know his idea of a hot take is like just misogyny and then when he gets backlash it's like oh look at this the sensitive media calling me out and now look at my free speech da, 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 da. and like i i don't know i just don't even understand why this is in conversation with rules about free speech because he wasn't fired you like he quit right. and there have been um a report right. says that more than 41,000 people have submitted written complaints about his behavior on the broadcast, including a formal complaint by Meghan Markle herself. Um, and Ofcom, a media watchdog company in the UK, is investigating um, his behavior. And so it it's just really interesting to me because if you follow like their relationship Morgan and Meghan Markle they've been friends and like been in communication since 2015 and 2016 and then there was like a very clear shift in the way that he was talking about her after he didn't get invited to the wedding and so I don't know if that I'm not saying that that is like the influence of why he is very harsh with her but I you know I can't tell you why and I just think it's really interesting when white men go on the defense 
when people call them out for their behavior and their, I feel like the main things that they go to are like, you're too sensitive or this is my free speech. And I don't, I don't think it works like that. I, right. Because there's no consequence for like the things that he is saying. It's just like people have opinions on the things that he is saying because either they're inflammatory or they just don't make a lot of sense. And I don't think that that is like an infringement on like his freedom of speech. But also I don't understand why you think you're free to just be racist and misogynistic. And if you think your material, if you think your material is being like, let's talk about your it. material or like your ability to do your job is hindered because people are like aware of racism and misogyny, then I don't know. Like if that scares you, then you're probably not that good at your job to begin with. Like if you have to rely on misogynoir to stay relevant, maybe you should find another career. I don't know. <laughs> um, right. It very much feels like he feels like he's been like snubbed and now he's just going to be like rude and misogynistic. And it's like, sir, sir, are you two? No. Yeah. And this one, I, it just doesn't make sense. One, I'm, I'm not sure why we need Pierce Morgan's take on this specific issue. I don't know what qualifies him to give one. I don't know what qualifies him to comment on like the truthfulness behind the interview. Um, I just think that, I don't know. I just feel like this is another thing that is getting blown up to distract from like the actual problem, which is like racism. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, that's I I had a similar brew this week where like I'm talking about like um, the racism that Harry and Meghan both experienced um, in their tell all um, interview with Oprah that happened this week. And like what I want to talk about about this story is that people were upset that like um, the royal family is racist. And I'm like. Did you not, did we not consider that they, that they have always been that way? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just think I wasn't, I wasn't surprised by these accounts at all. You know, like, I just think that like, especially when like, you're coming from a family that like a lot of their previous legacy is like based off of imperialism and colonization and <laughs> so many other like awful things that are tied to race I'm just kind of like I I don't expect them to not be racist especially when like okay I think Princess Charlotte wore like a blackamoor brooch when she first met Megan like I feel like we've already set the tone that they have issues with her because she's black you know like I wasn't surprised by it and I feel like a lot of people were yeah I also it it doesn't surprise me either. It is disappointing, but like you're saying, there have definitely, ever since the two of them have been publicly dating, there has always been conversations about her blackness. Right. I mean, like, there were literally, like, political cartoons that portrayed her baby as a monkey. Like, they, I just think, and, like, also British tabloids, like, said, like, kind of drug her through the mud. Like, I... I am not at all surprised that in the interview said that she thought that she had suicidal ideation while um, a member of the British royal family. And I'm like, I am not at all surprised by that. I feel like, like, I think we 
underestimate that like race experiencing racism is a trauma it is and i think we underestimate how like that that like that trauma can cause like a lot of serious mental health issues and i'm not at all surprised that like especially for her having those issues on like a global scale is probably like deeply distressing where like everyone is talking about your body everyone is talking about your skin everyone is holding you to these like just unrealistic standards not only because you're a member of the british royal family but also because you're a black woman who's a member of the british royal family and i just i just i don't understand which is why the thing about pierce morgan like was so upsetting to me also is because like how could you not believe her like just think about the way like we were all we were all alive to see the way that the the media or the the british media like treated her we were all alive to see the way the tabloids wrote about her so i'm i'm just not it, it it was not shocking to me for their reasoning for leaving the family like it just wasn't i i completely understood that and i just think that like i think there's a quote from him from prince harry where he uh, was saying that, like, someone had told him that, like, oh, the UK is racist. And he says, no, I think the UK media is racist. But, like, I think that that's a little incorrect. I think that, like, I think after this, I think the people of the UK are really going to have to think about the way that they treat black people overall with the fact that, like, the, your royal family has a singular black member in it and she left you know like she <laughs> abdicated all these titles and they also talked about how her child wouldn't even have titles either or security and so like it's just i think overall the uk is going to have to have a reckoning with the way that they think about black people because i feel like the way that like your most forward-facing symbol of your country treats its one black member is probably indicative of the way that the overall country might feel about black people who live there I think they're really going to have to reckon with that sooner rather than later. It's uh, it's time for tea. Gonna scroll down. Okay. Today, we will be talking about fat phobia and the way that it works in our society. Before we begin, I want to put a few disclaimers and trigger warnings onto this episode. We are going to be talking about weight and racism and white supremacy and a lot of other really harsh stuff in this conversation if those are topics that you cannot bear to listen to right now you can always skip this episode and join us next week please take care of yourself and we love you secondly i am a fat woman who believes in fat justice and fat liberation which are terms that we'll talk about in depth and i also understand that my relationship with my body has given me these feelings and that not every fat person feels the way that i do about their bodies and that's totally okay and i don't want these those individuals to think that i am going to be shaming them in the process of me talking about fat phobia the crux of my arguments will always be that we all have bodies and those bodies deserve to be respected thirdly I will be shaming the diet industry because I think it has given us a profound sense of body shame for most of our lives. However, bodies are such a sen- However, bodies are such a sensitive topic for many, and I understand that some people may feel unwelcome in the body positive movement be and and in body positive spaces because of the demonization of dieting, and I don't want anyone to feel that way either. I would encourage you to listen to these arguments I'm going to make and live your life as you best see fit. 
because I am just some girl with a microphone and books about fat phobia. So do with that what you will. Um, I just want to make sure that we are starting this conversation on in a place of like acceptance and in a place of like understanding of nuance because I think conversations about bodies are always really really sensitive for people and I just want to make sure that we're making all of those things clear so and if you want to talk about further obviously you have my social media and you have my email or in my the podcast email so we can talk about it further there if you want to um but with those disclaimers in mind let's get into it um the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about definitions that we're going to be using throughout the show. Um, I'm going to be using um, a book by Fat Justice author, um, formerly known as Your Fat Friend, um, but now because she has made herself not anonymous, her name is Aubrey Gordon. Um, She has a book called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, um, and she has some terms and what she calls her Fat Justice Glossary. And so I'm going to read some terms from that glossary in her book um, so that we can get some understandings about the words that we're going to be using. Okay? Okay. Um, You can cut here because I'm making a lot of noise. Okay. So first of all, we're going to talk about the word fat. Um, Her book says, a neutral descriptor for for predominantly plus size people. While fat is frequently used to insult people of all sizes, many fat activists, those of us who are undeniably, indubitably fat by any measure, reclaim this term as an objective adjective to describe our bodies, like tall or short. It is used accordingly in a matter-of-fact way throughout the pages ahead in her book. And she also goes on to say that fat stands in contrast to an endless parade of euphemisms, fluffy, curvy, big guy, big girl. Big bone, busky, voluptuous, thick, heavy set, pleasantly plump, chubby, cuddly, more to love, overrate, obese, all of which are just a, all of which just serve as a reminder of how terrified so many thin people are to use our bodies, name them, have them. Um, and she goes on to talk about how basically fat isn't a bad word. It is just a neutral descriptor. And throughout our episode, we will be using the word fat in this way. Um, as a neutral descriptor of plus size bodies. Um, also, also these, uh, these also these terms also might come up. So she has um, a glossary for how we label various distinctions of fat is what I'm going to say, um, according to usually according to like the US uh, size chart. This is a way for us to talk about different size bodies in a way that is numeric and neutral. So her listings are as follows. Small fat, 1x to 2x, size 18 and lower. So a torrid double zero to one. Find clothes that fit at mainstream brands and can shop in many stores. Mid fat, 2x to 3x, sizes 20 to 24, torrid 2 to 3. Shop at some mainstream brands, but mostly dedicated plus brands and online. Super fat, 4x to 5x. Sizes 26 to 32, torrid 4 to 6, where the highest sizes at plus brands can often only shop online, and Infinifat, 6X or higher, sizes 34 and higher, some torrid 6, very difficult to find anything that fits even online, often require custom sizing. 
And so this is important because different people of different fat distinctions have different levels of oppression. And so that is why we want to make those distinctions um, really clear. Um, also, we're going to talk about our last definition is what I'm going to say anti-fatness and anti-fat bias. And we're going to give a definition of what that means. Um, and, and according to um, Gordon's book, she says, Anti-fatness and anti-fat bias are umbrella terms that describe the attitudes, behaviors, and social systems that specifically marginalize, exclude, underserve, and oppress fat bodies. They refer both to an individual bigotry as well as institutional policies designed to marginalize fat people. Anti-fatness and anti-fat bias are also sometimes referred to as fat phobia, fatisma, sizeism, weight stigma, or fatism. The Macmillan Dictionary defines fat phobia as an irrational fear of, aversion to, or discrimination against obesity or people with obesity. So those are some terms that I want our listeners to be acquainted with because I think those are going to be coming up a lot. Um, and I think I use those descriptions from my book because I think those are really good neutral descriptions of the words that we're going to be using. Um, so Yasmin... Tell us what you know about fat phobia and the way that it works in the world. Oof. Well, I'm actually really glad that we set up like some of the definitions. Um, formally, I don't know. I feel like it's really clear that fat phobia like just exists in our uh, like sphere. Um, I and I think it's really clear even in just like anecdotal experiences when you're growing up to like how people are, are reflected on screen which is obviously you know obviously I study media a lot so um, I'm very tuned into like how people are talked about or like represented on screen um, and I don't know I think this is going to be really interesting because right now I'm just thinking about like all of the counter arguments of like oh well to the, like the counter arguments to the body positivity movement as in like oh well if we you know if we love all these bodies then we're we're glorifying some sort of like unhealthy lifestyle and i think just like the conflation of like fat bodies with being unhealthy is i don't know like the root like i, I don't think that's like the root of the problem but i definitely think like it exacerbates the oppression that happens you know, just, like, equating certain body types to being, like, inherently unhealthy, regardless, you know, you you don't even know someone's, like, medical history or what they're doing, what medication they're on, and all of those things can, like, impact your size and your body, you know what I'm saying? Which I'm sure we're going to talk about. So, um, I don't know, fat phobia is everywhere. In the fashion industry, oh my gosh, I mean, we've just explained, like, you're, you just explained, like, the sizes, but, like, it literally is everywhere. And then when people, it's just like with anything, when people try to, like, reclaim these terms for themselves or even just, like, exist and be happy in their bodies, it's, like, uh, somehow that is offensive to thin people in some way, and that's very frustrating to me. So, <laughs> uh, it, it just is. It is. Um yeah, like, I don't really know how you feel about your body specifically. Like, I know that I see myself as a fat body, but I also understand that, like, people who I think 
which which like we do talk about that's kind of how fat phobia works is that people who like maybe like i wouldn't or other people wouldn't consider fat like do think of themselves as fat people and i think that that's also like an important experience to talk about (laughs) yeah no i depending okay i guess following like the descriptions that you just you know that we outlined for the episode that we'll be using i think i fall under like small fat um but i've definitely had personal experiences with fat phobia either coming from people close to me as far as like um i'm a tall person so if you've never seen me in person i am like taller than the average um like woman i'm five nine um and i also am just like a curvy person because i'm caribbean so like that it just that just is you know she's stacked Um, like the stallion like (laughs) i mean but that was yeah you know i grew up before being a stallion was cool so um i definitely have like personal experiences of just like feeling very um limited in what i was quote like allowed to wear and it wasn't until i got to college and when i really started um i don't know just like embracing my style it was really frustrating being surrounded by people that would wear the same things as me and then like i would get in trouble for doing it or i very clearly remember people telling me that like oh this skirt insert you know insert article of clothing like this dress is not for you this this the uh, crop top is not for you well i don't want to hold up the episode but i do want to tell a quick story when i was shopping for my prom dress i was with two of my thin friends um and we were at you know just a, a store where you would get prom dresses at and the salesperson like took me and physically brought me over to the bridesmaids dresses and not like the prom dresses and she was like you will not find a prom dress like you have to wear a bridesmaid's dress right and that might seem like a really small thing but you know i i was a i was in high school like i wanted to be glitzy i didn't want to be the bridesmaid at my own senior prom if if that makes sense yeah and just like being limited by a complete stranger who thought she was trying to help me by being like oh no you can't dress like them and like right right yeah we're gonna get into like i think i think a lot of fat phobia happens in like people's personal experience because i think fat phobia as a as an oppression is very largely the way that other people feel about you and not so much about the way that you feel about yourself but like it affects the way that you feel about yourself so we're gonna get into that just a little bit and i think that like everything that you just said is like it's it's in this episode <laughs> that we're gonna get to um so we have as a society created a society that like hinges upon anti-fat bias and there are so many ways that we can talk about about fat and about anti-fat bias but for our show and for the time that we have um we decided to break the episode into kind of four key elements that we want to talk about in the when we start thinking about the way that fatness affects people's everyday lives so um, the f- those four ways are fat as an access issue, fat as a culture, fat as a media issue, and what do we do about fat? And despite the name that last section, I'm not going to offer you weight loss solutions because 
I don't think that's a solution to anti-fatness or to um, fat phobia. But what I am going to talk to you about is I am going to talk to you about solutions to uh, curve anti-fat bias and some ways that maybe we can think about our bodies that doesn't hinge around fat phobia. Um, so yeah, and those, oh, that's what we're gonna learn today. Um, yeah. Firstly, we have to understand like anti-fat bias takes over like all aspects of life. Like I was saying before. Um, oh my, I didn't even mention the medical industry, like from doctors' offices, um, planes, and like being in the grocery store and all those kind of um spheres like fashion like we mentioned even the music industry i feel like um is where like this anti-fat bias exists right like literally the first chapter of aubrey gordon's book is about a horrible experience that she had on an airplane where someone didn't want to sit next to her because she's a fat person you know and often we talk about and that's why access is like really important to me and like accessibility is really important to me because a lot of times my experience with uh, talking about accessibility has been by way of like being disabled. Um, and I think a lot of the people who we think of as talking about accessibility are disabled people. And the first thing about it is we don't give accessibility to, to disabled people. We live in a very ableist society and ableism and fat phobia are like actually also really tied together. Um, and I want to take a second here also to like, I think I want to hold space for, and I also want to like thank the, the disabled community for giving me the language for talking about um, accessibility in this way and for knowing how to do that. Because I think disabled people are the people who like, know how to talk about accessibility accessibility best and i've learned everything that i know about those conversations from them so i want to like leave that space open it's also like there are a lot of fat people like myself who are also disabled so these two communities have a lot in common and honestly and are usually like fighting for each other also everything that i've learned about fat justice has also come from disabled people a lot of those things are, so those communities are tied together and i think that that space is really important to me to make known. But when we talk about access for fat people, what we mean is like, can I sit comfortably in the chairs at your event? Can I sit comfortably on planes? Will the belt on a plane come over my tummy? Um, will I have to buy more than one seat because of fat phobia on this plane? Um, can I find clothes that accommodate my body and my size? Am I going to receive adequate medical care um which is like really the way that like i started to get like very radical feelings about fat justice is because like i almost died because i didn't receive adequate medical care um and i'm going to tell a little like quick little anecdote about that um when i was 10 years old um i was having severe like pains in what I thought was my abdomen because I didn't know that I had ovaries at the time um and I like could barely walk and stand I could barely like take part in class I couldn't run at recess I couldn't do any of that right and I was thinking from school so many days because I was in so much pain every day and then I go to the first doctor I went to by my, my pediatrician and we do all this stuff I'm like hey my stomach hurts so bad I like don't know what's happening, but in my, and I was having a period at the time also. So I started my period like at a really, really young age. And I was like, and also like my periods are really painful and I just don't know what's happening. I feel like I can't, I'm not living my life 
to the best of my abilities because I, I'm in so much pain. And my doctor, like, literally called me, like, fat in my office, like, in a very, like, derogatory way and not in the way that we were going to, that we talk about it. I talk about fat now and was like, well, maybe you should lose weight and you wouldn't hurt so much. And so I want you to, like, conceptualize the idea of telling a 10-year-old who cannot walk to school that they need to, like, jog more and eat better and then maybe they'll be in less pain. So I don't know about you, but I if you're in pain, <laughs> doing physical exercise is not like at the top of your list. And so my mother went to like a second doctor and that doctor like legitimately shamed me in his office. He like, again, called me fat to my face and said that like, it was my fault that I was in this amount of pain and basically just like sit me out of his office. Now, mind you, like none of these doctors ran like any test on me whatsoever. They didn't like take any blood work. They just like looked at my body, heard my symptoms that I was having, declared me fat and sent me on my way. Like that is what was happening. And I think by the, the second doctor, I was like crying in his office because I felt like we were getting a second opinion and second opinion was the same thing as the first as the first opinion and so i was like what am i gonna do and so then i went to a third doctor this time i went to um an OBGYN. he was a really nice man um who actually ran a test on me and actually took some blood work and actually gave me an ultrasound and what we found out was i had a tumor the size of a softball on my like left ovary and on my and it covered like my left fallopian tube and so then i had to get those removed i had to have major surgery for cancer because like we had just like let this tumor grow for so long and we had just like ignored the issue and i had a huge tumor a cancerous tumor on my ovary and so like fat phobia would have like taken me out at 10 years old and we would have never been able to make this show if like my mother hadn't like been so like angry and tenacious but also if i hadn't ha if i i had to do this because also like i had insurance which is also like an ex a, like, a privilege that i had at the time was i had the insurance and my mother had the time to take off because my mother worked for herself at the time to like take off from work to take me to do to the doctor's office so that i could get myself checked out and all of those things are access issues and not every person has the privileges that I had of a having insurance and being able to go to that many doctors and b having the time to not have to work to be able to make those appointments to go to those doctors. And so many fat people have the issue of you you come into the office for one thing, the doctor sees your fat body and they're like, well, you, I diagnose you with fat and that's it. And that's all you get. And you could go your whole life with like so many issues. Like literally Aubrey Gordon talks about in her book that like I think she had been on like a um, a cholesterol medication for like years and like when she didn't need to be. And the doctor just prescribed it for her because she was a fat person. And speaking of which these are that experience both me and both Aubrey Gordon are not unique experiences like so many fat people have the same issue speak which means like I'm going to read another passage from Aubrey Gordon's book on page 142 of what we don't talk about when we talk about fat because I think this is also like 
a really good example of the way that like the medical industry does not give the girls or anybody um for that matter the access that we need um so here is a short story that Aubrey talks about in her book. She says, um, like many women with, with lipedema, Bran Blatt was fat. And like many fat people, her doctor prescribed her a very low calorie diet, 1200 calories a day, the minimum amount that wouldn't trigger a starvation response, causing her body to cling to its fat. Bramblet wanted to know how much she weighed so that she could know if her prescribed diet was working. But the doctor's scale went up to only 350 pounds, well below what Bramblet needed. She asked her doctor how she could be weighed. The doctor had no answer. So Miss Bramblet, Bramblet, 39, who lived in Ohio at the time, resorted to a solution that made her burn with shame. She drove to a nearby junkyard and had that she drove. To, ugh, I'm do that line again. She drove to a nearby junkyard that had a scale that could weigh her. And I just want like that I remember when I first read that story and it like I think I started crying like I was driving home actually um when I first like read the lines I, I was listening to this to this book via audiobook um and I think I like started crying while I was driving and I had to like you know like quickly wipe my tears because like that is the there is so much shame in that and like I could not imagine being a person who like could not be be weighed at the doctor's office like everyone else is and having to go to a junkyard to weigh yourself and not only is like you know like the medical industry not like made for us and it's not and it, it isn't and it's not also just not serving us in the way that it should be like I think when you go to the doctor you expect that you are going to find out what is going on with your body and Fatness is not always the answer to that. But I think when you come into a doctor's office with a fat body, that is often all, the only conversation they're interested in having with you. Like, I cannot... from the, I've been fat my whole life. From the ages of, like, six till now, I've been, like, put on and put off of several diets. And mind you, a six-year-old should not be dieting. That's the first thing. But I have been told to do it. And they've all made me feel horrible about myself um but also like oftentimes diets don't work and they don't work because they're not meant to be like sustainable ways to live your life and we also don't think about the fact that like not everyone can diet and not everyone should be dieting like I also have anemia and that affects the amount of what the amount of things that I should be or can be eating I'm also like lactose intolerant and that affects the kind of things that I should or can be eating and I didn't really grow up in a particularly wealthy environment either. And so it's like, there are people who are poorer than me who don't have access to like fruits or vegetables, who don't have access to a grocery store because food deserts exist, who don't have access to the money to have a gym membership because those things are also hard. We just expect fat people to meet our standards without ever having to consider, consider like equity in those conversations. And like, doctor's office perpetuate that inequality and perpetuate that lack of access all the time no i mean you're completely right i think that's so embarrassing for the doctor really just like highlighting how the these medical industries are literally failing to serve people it's like 
if I'm paying XYZ amount of dollars to get medical care, I don't understand why, one, I should be shamed by it. Two, why are you not built in a way that can like accommodate this? Because I don't know. I, I just feel like we're we're too deep into the science to realize that maybe the problem isn't just being fat. Like this just happens so often and so many times that I feel like doctors should be like, huh, maybe it's not just that they are fat. You like, um, and like that should never, these experiences shouldn't happen to fat people, but also like BMI or like body mass index, which many medical professionals still use as a measure of one's weight is inaccurate and has racist roots. And so like, according to an article about, um, BMI by NPR, quote, the BMI was introduced in the early 19th century by a Belgian named Lambert Adolf Jacques Quetelet. He was a mathematician, not a physician. He produced a formula to give a quick and easy way to measure the degree of obesity in the general population to assist the government in allocating resources. In other words, it is a 200-year-old hack. And also, Quetzalcoatl was seeking to find a, quote, ideal man, and as such, he only did research with white men so that he's not only doing bad science from using height as a factor when talking about race, but also in not looking into other body types from different people. The BMI also doesn't consider issues like race, poverty, or overall access to food like fruits and vegetables or mental health when considering why someone may have gained weight. And, like, you know, like, we just don't... The BMI is the literally the most inaccurate way to tell... To, like, factor in, like, what someone's weight should be. Like, I think for my current weight, which I'm not going to say... Um, I think I should be, or no, for my current height, I, I, I should say instead, um, I should be like, I think like 190, you know, which is a weight that I have, first of all, I don't think I've ever been 190, um, my, in my entire life, but like that just, that's not an adequate, (laughs) that's not an adequate weight that I can achieve or should be, um, or that I, I think that I even can achieve with the way that my life's set up, you know? And so it's one of those things like I think the medical industry has always been very hostile to like fat people but it's also been hostile to like people who just to also to like black people and like which is why like we get to like the racism of the BMI is because it is inherently asking people to fit this ideal of a person that like is European and is white you know like that is just that's not great. Like that, what that is saying is that you just want like several thousand carbon copies of what we think the ideal white man's body should be, and obviously that's just wrong for so many reasons. Um, but also, as far as like the way access and um, access issues that when it comes to fat phobia is like we don't have access to doctors that will belittle us, but also it is difficult to find clothing um that fits you and isn't super expensive you know and everyone is always like okay with the rise of like fast fashion everyone else always like shop sustainably make sure you go to thrift stores like get things secondhand well what am I, how am i supposed to find things at thrift stores when like straight sized people continue to like upcycle clothes that they find at thrift stores like people will purpose like that was a trend for a good minute people will like 
purposely find clothing that is too big for them at the thrift store and then take it home and then sew it into quote unquote like a cuter more fitting style and what that does is it is taking away like an item from a fat person like that is what that is doing that that is a fat poor person who now cannot have that item because you have bought it and you have made it fit your body even though you can buy cheap clothes usually as a straight sized person that are going to fit your body in the way that you should but like fat people especially fat poor people cannot do that and like all we really have as fat people is three aesthetics we have torrid we have forever 21 and we have fashion nova which like there are issues with the fat person with like all of those brands torrid because it's, it's expensive and also i don't want to look like i'm disney bounding everywhere i go forever 21 because the fabric is not good but also it's expensive um it's cheaper than torrid but it's still like not great um but also the fabric kind of sucks and if you just want to wear like kind of gross florals i guess <laughs> i said that as like i have like many items from forever 21 and i was really excited when they opened the plus size section but like you know i still just like you know it's not always the move and fashion nova if i want to walk around looking like a kardashian like every day which like no hate to them i say okay you know actually a little bit hate to them because i'm not a kardashian fan but like <laughs> um i don't really want to have my titties or my booty out all the time um, which is kind of Fashion Nova's aesthetic, like the baddie aesthetic. And that's not who I am or who I want to be all the time. And so, but these are the, and then you just have Lane, places like Lane Bryant, which is like grandma clothes, I think, a lot of the time. I don't think Lane Bryant really has something for the young 20-something who wants to be cute, you know? Um, and so we have to think about these things when we think about fat. We have to think about access and how like, we have left fat people with so few options to where like we are just trying to make like our experiences are us trying to make life better for everybody else while making ourselves uncomfortable. You know, like I remember the first time I got on a plane and I realized that like the belt uncomfortably fits around my tummy you know, or having to make sure that I'm like squeezing myself into a space. I remember like being a a middle schooler and not eating in front of people at parties because I didn't want them to judge me. I I remember every doctor's appointment I've had where I've had to explain to the doctor that I do not want to talk about fat. I do not care about my possible future of arthritis in my knees. I, I came into this office because I have a skin condition and I would like you to solve my issue of my skin condition, which has nothing to do with my fatness. So when we talk about fat, we have to talk about the ways that it like is keeping fat people from living a full life and not because they're fat, but because fat phobia has made everyone else treat us like we are lesser human beings. Um, which brings us into a segue of our second issue, which is where we're going to talk about fat as culture. So I have more quotes from Aubrey Gordon's book that I am going to share with you Yasmin and um with our listeners so we're going to talk firstly about um this section is about like the way that we have culturally always thought about fatness 
and the way that like the way that fatness has affected our overall culture as Americans and just as like human beings, right? So we all know about the Harvard implicit bias test, correct? Um, So this is a quote from Aubrey Gordon's book about that test. In 2019, Harvard University released a study based on the results of their immensely popular online implicit bias test. The test asked participants to move through rapidly flashing slides of words and images to measure their unconscious biases about race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, weight, and other characteristics. The study published in Psychological Science reviewed the results of over 4 million test takers over the course of nine years. On some fronts, the the findings were promising. According to the study's lead author, Tessa Charlesworth, the most striking finding is that sexual, hold on, do it again. The most striking findings is that sexuality attitudes have changed towards neutrality, towards less bias, by as much as 13% on implicit measures, with nearly half the people also self-reporting changes to their own attitudes. Similarly, if less dramatically, test takers' implicit bias on the basis of race also decreased by 17%. While most measures of implicit bias decrease or remain stable, one measure exploded, anti-fat bias. In those nine years, pro-thin, anti-fat bias increased by a full 40%. Not only that, but waist-based bias was the slowest changing of all explicit attitudes. That is, the attitude that test takers self-reported. So... I'm also going to read um, this quote by Charles Worth. According to Charles Worth, it is the only attitude out of the six that we looked at that showed any hint of getting more biased over time. And of course, again, the question might be, why? What is specific about body weight attitude? We can only speculate. Body weight has been the target of much discussion, but discussion in a negative light. We often talk about the obesity epidemic or about the problem with obese individuals. Also, we typically think about body weight as something that people can control. And we and we are and and so we are more likely to make the moral judgment of, well, you should just change. And so that was also a really striking finding to me when I was reading Aubrey's book because our attitudes about fatness have gotten worse because of the way that we have often thought about fat bodies both in our culture and in our media yeah so when we like think of fat bodies in our culture we think of those bodies like well we think of those bodies being like lazy and or like in the interim of like not being thin yet But thinness isn't really an ideal that we should or need to hold ourselves to or an ideal that we should hold anyone to really at all. Because, and honest, this is a little tangential, but when I feel like it's a trend of like some celebrities will enter their celebrity status as like a fat person. And then once they, you know, secure their money, secure their status, get a nutritionist, have the access to all the things that like 
could support them being thin, they go through like a, a big transformation and then they get a lot of praise for doing that transformation. Um, I'm thinking more mostly about like Adele or Jennifer Hudson or um, Oprah. Oprah even. And that's a good example. I think there are celebrities who like, there's like whole conversations about their weight in general. And I really just think we're obsessed with being anti-fat. I wish it was like more complicated than that. But like, I, I don't know. Cause I know that you know what I'm talking about as far as like, uh, and like these people will receive like a lot of hate for looking the way that they do. And then when they, you know, people will switch it up full, full one eighties on them when they do this like huge reveal. People didn't even like recognize Adele when she had lost all of that weight. And like, if that was her prerogative, then like, awesome when that's awesome for you like that's your body so you do whatever you want to it but I it's very loud like the the respect that comes with people losing weight yeah most definitely um but yeah I didn't mean to get <laughs> off track and and like I'm talking about how like people will have more money and like have access to the things that like could possibly make them thin um this is also like an access issue when you consider like the dieting industry and diet culture, like think of influencers um, making money off of the diet lollipops or like the, the flat tummy teas and stuff like that. In her book, uh, the body is not an apology. Sonia Renee Taylor makes it very clear that there are people profiting off of your body shame. So this is exactly what we're talking about. She says advertisers and product makers want your money now and they are willing to watch after you've, <laughs> and they're willing to watch after you've watched 37 hours of perfect actors with ivory teeth and finally awaken to the epiphany that you must buy teeth whitening strips, of course, but why bother waiting? The body shame complex profiteers know it's easier and more economically efficient to serve us body shame directly. To simply say you suck rather than allude to it till you get up off your couch and give them your money. So this is what we're talking about of like these celebrities or advertisers using celebrities as a medium to sell shame, really. It's like, oh, you don't look like me, but buy this cup of tea so that you can but in reality the cup of tea is just going to make you have diarrhea so um at the end of the day like the nearly billion dollar diet industry wants your money because the more bad that you feel about yourself the more than it benefits them your body is not only valuable to what you are willing to pay to make it someone else's like ideal um and, like, our thoughts on thinness, as alluded to earlier, uh, in, like, the European nature, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna read you some more excerpts from another book of fat scholarship. Uh, this one is called Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings. Um, and in this book, she talks about the racial origins of fat phobia and how the way we think about fat bodies is also kind of racist because once again like things like the bmi are created with like white bodies in mind and so i'm going to read you a couple of excerpts by um kind of really i'm going to call them really the inventors of racism <laughs> um at the time because i think that it is like 
they kind of are. These are people, hold on, I'm going to get my quotes together. These are people who essentially spent their time writing about race. Um, and they are also really racist. So um, I'm going to put like a quick trigger warning here because we're going to hear some kind of really awful, awful, awful things about from some awful, awful people. Um in this section actually the author sabrina strings begins this chapter of the book by saying francois bernier is the salt of the earth um and we're gonna talk about some things that he has said about black people and about their bodies um he says what i have observed as regards of the beauty of women is no less different differentiated certainly certainly there are lovely ones ugly ones to be found everywhere I have seen some real beauties in Egypt, which put me in a mind of the fair and famed Cleopatra. Among the blacks of Africa, I have also seen some very beautiful women who did not have thick lips and snub noses. I have encountered seven or eight in various places who were such an astonishing beauty that they put, that they put in the shade the Venus of the Plaza Furnace in Rome. With aliquine nose, small mouth, coral lips, ivory teeth, large bright eyes, gentle features, and a, and a bosom and everything else of utter perfection. At Mocha, I saw several of them completely naked, waiting to be sold. And I can tell you, there could be nothing lovelier in the world to see. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Strings is right. Um, homeboy is the salt of the earth. And I want, I highlight that passage in particular because what that means is that, like, A, that cements that, like, our standards of beauty, or these people are talking about, and about fatness, are inherently about, like, looking as white as possible, right? Like, he directly contrasts these women who are being sold to white women, and that the prettier ones are the ones with, like, white features you know um because this is him and so later on in the same chapter we have a quote from a contemporary of his because i want to show that like this um this thought process kind of continues on um so later on a contemporary of his um whose last name is who is named the Comte de Buffon, uh, Buffon, I'm saying it again, the Comte de Buffon, um, he is kind of one of the proprietors of what we will call like race studies um, and race and thoughts on race. Um, he is one of the people who was really thinking about uh, making distinctions between different races of people. And this is something that he says about black people. This distinction between Moors and Blacks and size and stature, Blacks being labeled plump, represented an important innovation in the elaboration of racial differences. Oh, wait, hold on. This is the wrong quote. I am so sorry. Okay, so I'm sorry you're going to have to cut this, Yasmin. <laughs> what I mean to say is Bufton... Um, is one of the first people to start to associate black people with fatness. Um, in Strings' book, she says, quote, rather, Blothin articulated a new physical identity for black Africans, who he claimed could be defined by both their dark skin and their enormity. 
According to Bufton, the plumpness of black Africans was evidence of their ease of circumstance and their idleness. The land inhabited by Negroes, he claimed, was rich, abounding in pasturage, in, mil in millet and in trees always green. For this reason, black Africans were able to stay well nourished with little to or to no effort, which made them well fed, but also simple and stupid. Right. Yeah. Like literally, <laughs> literally, this is this was homeboy's entire thoughts on black people. And I'm going to read you actually um, one more quote from this section of um, of this book, because uh, this is from like another 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 person who is writing on um blackness at the time whose last name is uh la romaine who lived in the caribbean and he was a self-styled expert on french colonies and sugar plantations and so he um they were writing an encyclopedia um at the time of the systematic dictionary of sciences arts and crafts and so this is an excerpt from him about uh his time in the caribbean and in other parts where there are predominantly black people about their bodies um, he says the slaves of cape bird or Senegalese are regarded as the most attractive in all of africa the coast of angola the kingdoms of, of luango and the congo produce an abundance of attractive negras their their penchant for pleasure makes them fairly unfit for hard labor since they are generally lazy cowardly and very fond of gluttony the least esteemed of all the negras are the bimbaras. Their uncleanliness, as well as the large scars that they give themselves across their cheeks from the nose to the ears, make them hideous. They are lazy, drunken, gluttonous, and apt to steal. I'm gagged. What? no like legitimately like i i am still like working through the rest of this book and even like the rest of that section but like what we can see from like just those couple of quotes is that like european colonizers have always associated black bodies with bigger bodies and therefore like they have always associated bigger bodies with those who are more prone to like consumption rather than thinking like quite literally in another section of the book um it talks about uh phrenology and it gets into um how like the shape of the of a black person's forehead is more um is better suited for consumption rather than thinking because the forehead is smaller but the lips are bigger like it's 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 literally that bad like it's 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 literally that bad um and so what we can see is that like there is racism in the way that we think about fat bodies because like what do we think about fat bodies like right now as a culture we think about fat bodies as being lazy bodies we think about fat bodies as being worthless bodies we think about fat bodies as people who have given up on themselves which are also like very prominent black stereotypes throughout like the history of black people being just being you know um th those are thoughts that europeans have constantly had 
about black people and about black bodies and i think like these two oppressions are intricately tied in that way which is again like sabrina string's argument throughout like the entirety of this book is her charting that history and i think it's important to think about racism and fat phobia together because like the entire world functions on like a certain level of white supremacy right and like white supremacy works because like no matter what race you are if you are living outside of its norm in which case this case it is being like able-bodied it is being thin it is being white it is being um it is fitting these like very narrow um characteristics for beauty then like white supremacy thinks that you are a thing that needs to be destroyed you know and like it is inherently one of the reasons why we have fat phobia and anti-fat bias is because like we hate bodies that are not fitting this ideal and like especially like black fat bodies are one of the, those things that aren't fitting that that aren't fitting those those ideals and i think like we can just see the strings of a lot of the ways that we feel about fat people in the ways that serena strings uh research shows that we've also felt about like black people we've also felt about like fat black people and those things are like there's a knot around racism and fat phobia yeah no our conception of fat people is often that we just like don't want to be concerned with or look at those bodies which i think is why so many people have so much um hatred towards like body positive movements and stuff like that um and i think it's messed up because even that like rhetoric or that hatred of fat bodies affects people that aren't even um fat or like that don't even fall within like the bounds that we've like defined and this is why we have so many um straight sized people who will say things like i feel fat or i feel ugly i feel bad about myself um or they'll say I feel fat as a way to say I feel ugly or I don't feel good about myself because we just assume that fat people would feel badly about their bodies and we as a culture are very angry when they are not like when you see someone and this is just like um I think it mirrors the same logic as like black joy movements as being like oh okay all of these terrible traumatizing things are happening but if you look over here like we're going to embrace like black joy we're just gonna hang out be a bunch of black people being happy and that is like a direct f you to the state because it goes against like their agenda and so when we are talking about how racism and fat phobia are linked when we see fat people embracing their bodies enjoying them which goes directly against like the messaging that we have been digesting for decades then i think that invokes like anger in people because they're like oh i've been told that you're supposed to hate yourself and i've been told that you're supposed to think that you're ugly and now you don't think that you're ugly and i now have to like interrogate how this 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 phenomenon is working and it's really annoying. It's like, maybe you should just let people do their thing. I don't know why you feel so emboldened, but that's another conversation, I guess. And ooh, I'm really glad we're actually moving to talk about this. Um, we can see like this phenomenon in 
a specific like study of uh, not study, but when Jillian Michaels talked about Lizzo during a BuzzFeed interview and she said, why are we celebrating her body? Why does it matter? Uh, she continues, why aren't we celebrating her music? Cause it isn't going to be awesome if she gets diabetes. I'm just being honest. Like I love her music. Like my kids love her music, but there's never a moment where I'm like, I'm so glad that she's overweight. I'm, I don't know. This is another, I think this is a great, perfect example of the connection between racism and fat phobia because all of the things um that she's saying like if we dissect this it's giving me very like i it's giving me like of course i am not racist i have a black friend like that is the vibe the energy that i'm receiving from this like oh i like her music so it's okay for me to like comment on her body or her health status even though i have no idea Oh no, like about facts. Like especially because like, like we weren't having this conversation about Megan Trainer when she was saying all about that base. We weren't doing that. Oh, stop. Talk about it because Megan Trainer got like awards and a whole career for talking about how she loves her curves. But Lizzo talking about how she loves her body or like is existing. And uh, there are a lot of Lizzo songs that don't talk about her body. But her body has just like become a symbol for scrutiny because of this logic of being like, and this is what I was talking about at the top of the show of being like, somehow loving your body, we have equated that with like uplifting unhealthy living, but we don't have a standard definition of healthy and we don't, we've already proven in the show that one, health is different for all the people, but two, like access to what is or is not healthy like varies completely depending on a lot of things um and also like health shouldn't be a standard that we hold ourselves to because like like i said like i i am a disabled person i am never going to be healthy i am chronically ill i'm going to be chronically ill the rest of my life i am never going to live in a healthy body and that has nothing to do with the fact that I am fat. Like I have a skin, I have a chronic skin condition that gives me chronic pain. Like that is, that is just a thing that is that my body is doing. And unfortunately, we care so much about what other people's bodies are doing, and we get so angry when they are not meeting this norm that we we do something that Aubrey Gordon calls concern trolling, and we bully people who we under the guise of concern very much like what jillian michaels is doing to lizzo is feigning concern for her body when really it's like how dare you be in the public space in a body like that and not be ashamed i don't know i adore lizzo but i also think it's really annoying when thin white women feel very aligned with what she's talking about um or you know and like listen to whatever music you want to but Something about that is just not sitting right with me. <laughs> yeah, it's more like it's like I'm not really sure how much like they like a thin white person can really understand where she is coming from when she talks about her body because also it's like you know I also think the big difference between Megan Trainer and like Lizzo is that like Lizzo is also like a bigger fat person than Megan Trainer is, you know? 
And I think that is also, like, a big factor. And I think also, like, Lizzo has made more of an effort to, like, like, she is fine with, like, she shows a lot more skin than Megan Trainor did in her, like, heyday of career. Like, Lizzo has made an effort to be, like, I am sexy rather than, like, I, and, like, I am sexy on my own and because I think that my body is sexy. Where, like, Megan Trainor's vibe is, like, boys love curvy girls which is a completely different like vibe altogether you know and i think like living in a black fat body is its own like unique experience that i think when like thin white women think that they understand what is going on there i'm not sure how much they actually do because like being fat and being black together like is like a trifecta of ask of people like putting things and bad stereotypes onto your body Um, Julia Michaels clarifying statement, but we don't have to read that if you don't want to. Oh, yeah, let's move down. Uh, so then it's me. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I've seen, uh, this kind of thing, um, in my everyday life where people kind of talk about your body. Um, and it's really important to me because, like, I had a friend in high school who, um, tried to, like, talk shit to me about another girl who we knew who like, first of all, was like very mean to me and was very mean and racist to me like in high school. But my friend was like, oh my God, have you seen her? She's gotten so fat, I barely recognized her. And like, I was upset about this because I was like, what that means is that like, you also think that I am ugly and fat in the same way that you were calling her ugly and fat. And I think that like, you don't understand that like when you talk about someone else's fat body, you're also talking about like, my fat body and you also don't think that I am like a beautiful and worthy person because of that you know or like I'll be out with my sister and she'll be like um she'll see like a fat person and she'll be like oh I don't look like that right and that sucks for me also because I'm like that person doesn't exist to make you feel better about your body and unfortunately all of our cultural feelings about fatness are also just like about what bodies we think can make us feel better and what bodies we, we can make feel lesser than us. It's very much about like superiority because like we think that fat bodies are lesser. We think that disabled bodies are lesser. We think that queer bodies are lesser. We think that BIPOC bodies are lesser. And for that reason, if you are not like white, able-bodied, heterosexual or thin, or if you're not like trying to put your body more towards those ideals, then like you are lower on this hierarchy and i think that's awful yeah aubrey for so many gordon reasons. has a quote from one of her essays um that i really encourage straight-sized people to think about um it follows i need you to know that when you talk disparagingly about your own body and then you say but not you you're beautiful your compliments are impossible to believe that if you disapprove of yourself uh dissect your own body and then compliment me i remember how you talk about both of us I think if you think of your own fat body as repulsive, I will believe that you are also repulsed by mine. I know that you intend to talk about yourself. I need you to know that you are also talking about me, which this has, uh, I don't know. This is also very loud. Um, and it, I don't know if it always like falls onto the individual because like we're saying like the, the, the rhetoric and the way that we talk about ourselves is fed to us by like, 
um, the body shaming industry. And, you know, we're taught to talk about ourselves and other bodies in a certain way, which is something that we have to unlearn. Um, and that really segues us into our next topic of like fatness in the media. We're constantly putting like it onto fat bodies, the responsibility of like being the joke or being like a, a soft caregiver. And this is all, I feel like I was talking about this earlier too, of like how, um, fat bodies are represented. Like, for example, we think of like the mammy stereotype of being like a, a big breasted, like black woman who is like fat and her, her only job is to like take care of people, um, from big mama, Respucia, Medea, um, in which like on all of those characters, the, joke is that it is a man dressed up as a fat black woman and they like do things that people think it would be funny for fat black women to do and all of the jokes just come at like that expense um I don't know I I think I've just as far as like my own experiences like stuff that I've observed in the media I think I'm just like more aware of certain things um I was watching the original coming to America the other day and there's a scene and Eddie Murphy's character nobody even says anything like there there's no dialogue in this scene but it's still very clear what's happening um it's in the beginning where his potential wife is being introduced to him and there's like this really big dance number and the dancers finish and this woman who is like a fat dark-skinned woman comes to the front and he makes this face like this this disgusted repulsed face because he thinks that she's like the the one and then when she when it turns out that she's just introducing the the princess that he's supposed to marry he like does this like big sigh of relief and it's supposed to be a joke because I guess it would be so crazy of him like just the idea of like we were all able at the time I guess when it come out came out to be like oh of course this main character isn't going to um be paired with this fat black woman that's crazy and so it's just when we that really stuck out to me because just because that was something that I had like seen recently and I don't know I think it's either like fat black women are meant to be like sassy or have like attitudes like Lashana in <laughs> Total Drama Island or something like that right. or like their whole personality is like being a fat person and I just feel like that lacks depth I think it's lazy I don't think it yeah is no like all of that we it's don't tired. really yeah fat women especially fat black women we don't really get <laughs> I could go on. that honor us as people like it's either you are the butt of the joke you are the best friend or you are actively trying to not be fat um I was talking with uh someone recently about like why I don't like shows like The Biggest Loser or or my 600 pound life is because I think they're exploitive and bad um like and the person I was talking to was like oh well you have to like care about yourself enough and not to not let that happen to your body and it's like okay the people who go into these shows are people who do care about their bodies they are and they care about them enough to like let themselves be exploit on tv because maybe that tv show will like give them the money and the resources that they can actively like 
maybe have access to the food that they would like to have for once in their life or maybe in some cases the surgeries that they feel like they need to have to like try and have a more normative life and I just think that like shows like those as you said earlier um do not take into account the many factors that come with fatness sometimes you know like poverty and lack of access to health care and the show doesn't care about that the show cares about exploiting people's fatness and fear-mongering straight-sized people about the possibility of fatness you know like we have to understand about fatness is that like fat isn't a bad word and fatness isn't a bad thing you know like people will always be like oh you're so beautiful and it's like whenever like i call myself fat and i'm like no 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 i am beautiful and i am fat both of those things are existing at the same time i am a baddie and i am also fat and we cannot separate those two things from one another you know like i'm i'm not even gonna say that i always love my fat body because i don't there are days when it's really really hard to get out of bed because like i feel really gross about myself as a lot of people do straight size and fat people alike you know but think about my body my body's mine and i'm not gonna let anybody else make me feel bad about it because like i've been work it's the only body i have and i can't divorce myself from it you know um and i think when people say things like that or when people make shows like this or they want to like engage in anti-fat bias what they really want to do is they really want to find a person who they can feel superior to on whatever level that means and oftentimes it comes at the at the cost of fatness you know like we said earlier like the reason why the why that scientists um argued that maybe anti-fat bias is on the rise is because we think fatness is a choice but like even if it is a choice it is still my choice to make you know like there are people who choose to be fat. I'm one of them. I do choose to be fat. I choose to be fat because I'm tired of feeling shitty about my own body. And because I've done the diets and they always make you feel like garbage. You know, and they always make me, they're not, I've never dieted in a way that is going to honor my body and honor what it is giving to me because dieting is inherently about restriction and it is about body hate, I think, in my own personal opinion. And so, like, even if fatness is a choice, it is a choice that I have made. And even if it, and even if it like, and, it, and things don't like, I don't know. I feel like we demonize people over things that we think that they can change or things that we think that they should change. But also think we need to realize that like, this is another person's body and it is no one's business to have opinions about that or to put other things onto that. Um, and that's kind of my, my takeaway when we think, when we start thinking about um, fatness as a culture. Fatness as a culture is honestly a nosy one, and in fact, in fatness in media is also like a nosy one in tandem with that because the media is informing our culture in that way, and it is holding a mirror to our culture, and we really need to be thinking about like the kind of access that we want to have to people's bodies and why we feel the need to have that access. No, I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that that was my takeaway. If we're doing takeaways, I I don't even know what to say. And with that, we need to talk about um, our last piece, which is um, what we do with all this information about fat phobia. And the answer to that has many avenues. There's body positivity, which as a movement focuses on your personal love of body and self. 
There is body neutrality, which is a state of being where one does not consider the body. And there is fat liberation, which calls not only for body acceptance of the individual, but also of ending the structures that perpetuate fat phobia. Yeah, I am a big proponent of like fat liberation, which is like why I've read all these books, um, which are written by people who I think are also proponents of fat liberation. And it's my personal pathway um, for as far as like coming in terms with my body, because it makes me firstly feel a lot better about the things that my body knowing that like these are oppressive systems that like I did not create and that I have i can't really all i can't really undo them you know like they're they're long held beliefs you know as we talked about earlier but i think that liberation is important especially in comparison to body positivity because fat liberation attacks the system when we have fat justice and fat liberation what that means is that we are going to end fat phobia but also maybe end the other isms uh, attached to it like racism and ableism and uh, homophobia and queerphobia and transphobia that are also like kind of attached to it in that way because again when we put down anybody we're also kind of in the process going to put down a lot of other bodies which is why I'm always going to be a proponent for like fat liberation but also I do want to hold space for people who think that who need body neutrality who need to live in a world where they're not thinking about their body and for whom body positivity has like given them confidence and have saved them and those are all valuable and beautiful pathways to actually like loving and accepting and making peace with your body and with your body in this world and i'm going to make use another quote from sonia renee taylor from her book um she says making peace with your body is not about finding some obscure pathway to the peninsula of liking my thighs making peace with your body is about awakening to who you have always been the physical, spiritual, and energetic manifestation of radical self-love, says Taylor in her book that we mentioned earlier. Um, and overall, this is like my feelings about my body journey. I'm my my body journey is filled with it is anti-capitalist and it is pro-self-love. And I think to anyone who's listening to this, no matter what your body journey is, I want you to know that like whatever avenue and pathway you choose that is up to you um and that I think you just have to choose it you just have to choose a path that is going to like make you feel good about your body and is also going to like fulfill you in some deep way because like Simon Taylor if you read her book The Body's on Apology she talks about how like we did not come into this world with body shame body shame was taught to us and it is our job to work unwork the evils of body shame if we're doing takeaways i i don't even know where to start oh my gosh i always feel like i get to the end and i'm like what is my takeaway i but this mostly because i i wish i could just like auditorily co-sign on everything that we've said throughout the show just like retweet 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 yes like um but it, it it seems so simple in this space when we're talking about it. And I, I just know that it it's not. Um, and that because of the way fat phobia is taught to us, it's going to be, I guess, hard socially to come out of that. But I think my takeaway, I guess, I don't want it to be like just 
body positivity um, because I think that's a part of it. But I also think we have to do like hold certain systems accountable, hold marketing um, bodies accountable for the way that they are like portraying fat bodies, um, like hold these brands that literally exist or like the the brands that exist that like just make money off of shame. I think we have to like spotlight that and expose that for what it is. Um, because I, I just think loving your body isn't going to undo those like really harmful systems. Um, and I think that it could work on an individual level as far as like, you know, but I, I don't know what that does for access in any of these industries as far as like medical clothing um the job industry and discrimination that you could experience there um advertising is a big part of that and so i just think that we have to be one very aware of the language that we're using but two aware of the language that is being used around us and like to us um with how we are gonna go forward with like shaping the conversation or like doing something about it and I don't mean to ramble but I I think that's what it's gonna come down to even on top of um self-love and that's a wrap for episode this week thank you so much for ladies and lovelies uh for listening to hold on I'll do that one again god damn this from last week's and that's a wrap for episode this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Yasmin, where can our listeners find you? I'm at Yasmin underscore S-A on Instagram. Aaliyah, where can our listeners find you? I am at It's Aaliyah Dorsey on Twitter and Instagram. As always, please follow us at Black Girl Tea Party on Instagram and search Black Girl Tea Party on Facebook and at Black Girl Tea Time on Twitter to stay up to date with episodes from us and as well as from updates about our show. Also, please subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. You can also send us an email at blackgirlteaparty at gmail.com. Send us questions, ask for advice, tell, tell us how much you love the show. Talk with me about fat positivity and fat liberation, fat justice, or about books about fat justice that you're reading. I would love to hear more about those. Um, remember to love often and love with all your heart and love you and your bodies <laughs> thanks for joining us this week our sources are all listed in the caption please love each other and yourselves and we'll see you next week <laughs>